How would you like to be in that house? I mean, no Spotify, just, hey, mom and dad, start singing. I want to give some orientation to our sermon this morning before I ask you to pray with me. First, I listened to two different podcasts about hope. And when I listened to them, I thought, okay, I want to preach on these themes. So all of what I have to say this morning really is some credit to these two podcasts. And they'll be in the newsletter this week, and you can listen and glean more things from them. Secondly, if you struggle finding hope, there's a book called The Book of Hope by Nancy Guthrie. It's a 365-day journal or a, a devotional. So if this is something that just is just a sort of a, a limp, you just can't quite get going because you just can't find hope in some form, this might serve you well over the year or if you just want to read it for a month, however you would want to use that. And finally, um, the two Bible passages I'm going to more or less be in are Isaiah 40 and 1 Kings 19. But you might just want to sit and listen uh, because I'm going to be in different passages and it might be helpful just to try, to try to listen for the Lord's voice, however it may come through today. And then the, the notes of my sermon are always online, you know, so you can say, oh, that was a great quote. And you don't have to scribble it, you know. And uh, you can just say, hey, it's going to be online, and, and I can get that from the notes. So let's pray together. I'm going to use Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him, so that we may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, help our ears to be open to your word today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair, I say to you today, my friends. Even though we face difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair, I say to you today, my friends. Even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. This is the line delivered by Martin Luther King on August the 28th, 1963, at the mall during the March on Washington. And that line was delivered and served like the tip of a, a massive wave that crested and powerfully cascaded down into the imagination of an entire nation. And what follows in a very um, familiar cadence are six different hopes that he outlines. And each hope is launched with this repetitive phrase, I have a dream that one day, I have a dream that one day, I have a dream that one day. And he says this six times and then the sixth and final hope, King informs us, informs the listener, where he draws his hope from. Here's what he says. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and the flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. And with this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. 
with this faith, with this hope, with this trust in the Lord, we will be able to hew out a mountain, hew out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. And this sixth and final phrase of hope should be familiar to us because he, King, lifts it directly from Isaiah chapter 40. A bit of background might be helpful for us. In Isaiah 39, Isaiah informed Israel due to their unfaithfulness, their beloved country was going to completely collapse. Let me just read a few verses for you. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah the king, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. This is the Lord of a great army. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried away to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be made eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Disaster. Everything's going to collapse. All, everything that this king and his forefathers have built over generations is going to be completely gone by the invasion of Babylon. Even, their, even his sons that he's going to bear, they're going to be turned into eunuchs. They're literally going to be cut off from any future hope. And yet in chapter 40, Isaiah's word breaks into this despair like a beam of light in a black cave. I don't know if any of you know this story or you've seen the movie. It's called 13 Lives. You familiar with this? In 2018, a, a group of young boys, a soccer team in Thailand, went into a cave. And they ended up three miles below the surface of the earth, if you can imagine this. And while they were there, a great rain came and flooded them in so they couldn't escape from this cave. They spent nine days there on a little dry spot in a cave in the dark. Nine days, three miles below the surface of the earth in the dark. Just try to imagine what, what would that do to your mindset. And on the ninth day, uh, a specialized rescue scuba diver broke the surface with his big headlamp shining on these 13 faces. And just try to imagine the thrill of hope for these, these 13 kids. Imagine them thinking, I mean, how long has it been? We've been stuck here in this cave and, and somebody has, has, has dove down three miles to get us and rescue. And the rescue begins. Isaiah 40 broke into the darkness of Isaiah 39. And here's what he says. After that great moment of despair, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to her. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the deserts a highway for the Lord. Lift every, every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become leveled and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
These are just like the words from Martin Luther King's speech. Just like Isaiah delivered to the people in despair a reason for hope. And the reason for hope is found in verse 5, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The reason for the people's hope in Isaiah, the reason for the people's hope on the mall in 1963 is not that they can turn things around. It's not that they can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. It's not better execution on next year's New Year's resolutions. No, the reason for hope is because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's the hope. One quote from the podcast, Isaiah urges the people, listen, Isaiah urges the people not to trust in what the world calls possible. For that way leads to despair and anxiety. Rather, he urges them to trust in the possibilities that exist first on God's lips. Urging people to trust in the possibility that exists first on God's lips. That's where a hope is. It's not in something I can do. It's not something I can pull myself together. I'm trusting that God is speaking in some way, and that's where my hope is. And today, we know these words from Isaiah 40 from God's lips find their ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the voice calling in the wilderness. It's John the Baptist, and he's proclaiming the way of the Lord, and, and the Lord is coming. He's the one who's become, going to become flesh, and everyone can see it. And as we've read so many times already, John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, and in him was life. His light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. This light has broken into a dark world. And no matter how hard the darkness or evil tries to fight against us as a people or you in your mind, a light has broken through. A rescuer has, has, has diving into your life and he's broken the surface to say, I'm here. I'm not going to go away. The light's never going to give out. Have hope. And we sing the Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. And you recall the words well, a thrill of hope. A thrill of hope. The weary soul rejoices. Why? For yonder breaks. I should get the Mercurios to sing this right now, shouldn't I? I mean, this is not sufficient. A thrill of hope. The weary soul rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night. When Christ was born, Christ broke the surface. He broke the surface of this world. He can break the surface of your world. He broke the surface in the dark cave of our sin. He can break into the surface of the dark cave of your soul. A thrill of hope. We sing it, but my question to you is, do you, do you have hope? I mean, you hear the opening two pages, and you don't you want to just say, yes! But then you leave, but do you have hope? You hear the thrill of hope, you sing the thrill of hope, but in your mind, when you're just by yourself, do you have hope? 
What's your orientation towards the future? For Martin Luther King, I have a dream. He lived in dark and despairing times. But, but that his current circumstances didn't define his future. He, he had a dream. King believed that the God who delivered hope in Isaiah 40 was still in the business of delivering hope today. What about you? I have a, what would you fill in? For some of us, it would be, I have a fear. <laughs> fear can easily become a lens to, to you use to imagine your future. I, I have a stepfather who was a good man. But in his closing years, he became well-rooted in front of cable news. Over time, he began to invest in what I would say doomsdayism. Everything was alert, right? I mean, it was every time you talked to him, he was on like red alert. The world is coming to an end because they just said it on all these television shows I'm rooted in front of. All the clocks in his house were set for the apocalypse. And he seemed quite certain God was tired of us. And Jesus would return in his lifetime. And he died a year and a half ago. What lens do you use to imagine your future? Everyone has one. When you look out, what... What first do you see before you see your future? Maybe your lens isn't fear, but failure. You see yourself as damaged goods. You see your future as some kind of futility or failure. And phrases like this come to your mind, it's no use. I mean, not, really nothing ever changes. I can't because, and then you fill in the blank. But listen carefully to this quote. The challenge is we can't imagine something happening in our lives which is not derived from our present circumstances. You hear that? The challenge is that we can't imagine something happening in our lives which isn't derived from our present circumstances. The best we can imagine is a rearrangement of the existing pieces of our lives. Yet, Christians should have hope because we don't think the present is all there is. And we don't think human beings are the only ones involved in this world. Instead, the God of the cosmos, the creator who fuels the world with love, is out ahead of us. He's our lens, which is why there can always be new possibilities. Why, for the Christian, there's always a reason for hope. Oh, it's so important. Now what I want to say for the next few minutes could be an entire sermon series. It could be a book. Yet I only have time to give you sort of the highlight reel of hope in the Bible. The reason for our hope is it's all through the Bible. And I just want you to see little peaks of a mountain, little crest of a wave. And, and as you move into 2023, I want the, that crest of the wave to crash into the complexity of your circum, current circumstances and just wash out darkness and despair 
and bring in the possibility of hope that you would change your lens from despair, that you would change your lens from fearfulness, that you would change your lens from failure or trauma and stop seeing your whole life through that lens and see your life like God wants you to see your life through hope, through hope. Several different parts, several different peaks that we want to see. Number one, hope is possible because we believe that humans are not the only agents involved in the world. Hope is possible because we believe that humans are not the only agents. You are not the only agent. The other people around you aren't the only agents. The God of the cosmos, the creator, he's not absent. He's in action. Consider this. What is required for something genuinely new to come into existence in your life? What is required for something genuinely new to come in existence to your life? The answer, an act of creation. Well, great. Why? I believe in a creator. And it says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness. Some of us think of our lives this way. My life is formless and empty and in the dark. Yet the Spirit of God hovers over these waters, the waters of the earth and the waters of your soul. And God can say, He can break through the surface and say, let there be light. Let there be light in Paul Phillips' cave. Just like he said, let there be light in the world. God was the light which pierced the darkness at the beginning of time. God created a new thing. It was underived from what was currently available. He made something out of nothing, and he's free to create something out of nothing in your life. Is that what you think? Is he still creating new things? Or did he sort of run out of steam? Well, I had a good six days, but I'm tired now, and I'm not doing any more of the creation stuff. Yes, he certainly is. I have Isaiah 50, 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing what? A new thing. I'm doing something new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So many of us know this. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a... He's new. He's a new creation. Behold. Pay attention. Open your eyes. The old has gone. The, the new has come. And all this is from God. All this newness that's happening in the life of Paul Phillips, all the newness that could be happening in your, in your life, it's something new. It's underived from your current circumstances because God's involved. He's still speaking. He's got things on his lips that he wants to see come true, and it can happen in your life just like it did at the creation. So don't wallow in the valley of despair. Risk instead. Trust that God can bring a newness to your situation Resist the mental narrative which claims that your current situation will be the final order of things. Resist. Oh, this is so important for so many of us. Resist the mental narrative which claims it's it, like it has a claim on your life. It, like it, it's a darkness that closes around and says your current situation for you, Paul, for you, you name your name will be the final order of things. Instead, trust that God can create new things underived. Underived from what's currently available. 
which is exactly what God did in our second point with Abraham and Sarah. Genesis 17, God spoke to the 100-year-old Abraham, the 90-year-old barren Sarah, and he spoke against all the evidence of the current circumstances. He promised Abraham and Sarah a son. Remember what Sarah did? She laughed. Why? It's just not possible. I'm, I'm, why? Because her lens is current situations. I, I can only take my current situation and extend it out into the future. And God's saying, I can do something new. I'm not limited to your current circumstances. I'm free. I am free. God Almighty is free to do something new. Something she couldn't imagine. I love how Romans 4 describes Abraham's reaction. Maybe a reaction some of us need. In hope against hope, Abraham believed. I love the realness of that. I, I, it's like he has two competing hopes. I really want to hope what God says is true, but I have this other hope that comes from the world that tells me it's not possible. And so he's got to choose this hope against this hope. Hope against hope. Abraham believes that God is still creating new things. And he had to risk hoping in what God said. And he trusted in the creator and trusted that the creator's word would claim the final ordering of things in his life, not the world's word. Elijah's, Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Elijah was one of the prophets in the Old Testament and he was coming off a season of great emotional intensity. And Elijah was so exhausted, he decided to run away. Have you ever felt like that way? You ever gone out I-40 and seen the sign for Barstow, California? <laughs> I, you laugh because you have, haven't you? And you just think, I'm just going to keep on going. Like, I don't care how many miles it is. I'm just trying to get away. I'm so exhausted. The things that have happened to me, my circumstances are so heavy. I just, all I can do is just get away. So he runs away. He runs away because the leadership of Israel has made a vow to put him to death. And exhausted and afraid, he runs into a cave. Some of us, some of us right now, we have run ourselves into a cave. For, for, re for good reasons. In this dark cave, God spoke to Elijah. And he said this in verse, 1 Kings 19, beginning with verse 9. There he came to a cave, Elisha, and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah responded to God, Well, I've been very jealous for you, Lord. For the people of Israel have forsaken the covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets by the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And now they seek to take my life. And God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Let's get out of this cave. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it into pieces. And the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. 
And Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face. He stood at the entrance to the cave. And a voice came again saying, what, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, I've been very jealous for the Lord. And the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And I, even I, I'm the only one left, God. And now they're seeking my life. Then the Lord tells them three things. Go and return. I'm going to anoint a new king over Israel. Go and return. I'm going to appoint a new prophet over Israel. And go and return because there are still 7,000 people who haven't bowed to Baal in Israel. Elijah, because of the intensity of his life, he severely overestimated himself. Even I, I, even I, I'm the only one left. You ever felt this way? I'm the only one that's doing right what's right around here. I mean, nobody said that this week, I'm sure, but I'm just saying that happens. I, 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 when, in the, when this intensity, I, I overestimate myself and I severely underestimate the sovereignty of God. The, the intensity of a life, especially over a long period of time, can warp your vision. Now, some of us, we experience some momentary intensity, but there's several of us here, we're in this long-term intense situation because of some trauma. And it begins to warp your vision. And Elijah had come to believe that he was necessary, that in order for anything to carry on, he had to survive. And he desperately needs God to reorient him, to help him get, have another lens on which to see his life through. And what he learns is something very humbly. First of all, he learns God's not at all worried. Uh, Elijah, you know what? I, I have a plan. And even though in your world there are hurricanes and earthquakes and fires, hey, Elijah, I'm not worried. In the midst of your great disasters, I'm completely in control. I think that's why he comes with a whisper. I don't need to be loud. I've got all of your circumstances right here. I can barely see them. I'm, I'm in no way concerned, alarmed, panicked, in a rush. And if I'm not, then you, you don't need to be. God has his people. Elijah... I know you've said it twice. I, even I, am the only one. But guess what? There's 7,000 others. Oh, okay. Hmm. <laughs> missed, missed those 7,000. I mean, if you said there were five others, you'd be like, well, of course, I can't find them. But 7,000? Do you see what happened? He got, he got warped thinking he was the only one. He was the critical point. It all had to happen because of him. And God's saying, I'm trying to help you see a different lens. I'm at work in people's lives you have no idea about. Open yourself up to God doing things bigger than what are your current circumstances. And this had to be the most humbling in this whisper, Elijah, I found your replacement already. I mean, I know you're tired, but I'm not tired. 
you, you, you've done this, haven't you? You get tired of the current culture and you take your tiredness and you project it on, that's what God's got to think, right? God's sick and tired of us as a country. I mean, this is not my stepdad speaking, but it could have been. And the, len- the lens he sees the world through is he's older and he doesn't think he can have much impact. And he looks at current leadership and doesn't think they can have much impact. And he looks at the current culture and thinks, well, it's all going to hell. So Jesus must be coming back. He's just projecting his own self onto God. And God's saying, Elijah, I'm not doing that, buddy. I'm not you. And I can just move you off the stage and just bring in the next person. Jeremiah 30. Oh, I wish I had time to unpack Jeremiah 30. Where God says in verse 12, your wound is incurable. It is beyond healing. This is the lens through which many traumatized people view the world. Could have been like Hannah said, trauma that came towards them. They had no control over or trauma that they've gotten themselves into. But either way, they live through a traumatized lens. And they pick up these words, my wound is incurable, I'm, I'm beyond healing. Yet we got to keep reading. We can't stop at verse 12. So many of us stop before we should get to the next verse. Five verses later, I will restore you to health. I will heal your wounds. See, we, we take this in and say, well, I have been traumatized. I, I can't see anything else. Yes, but God sees something else. He sees you. He sees your wounds. He can restore you to health. In the midst of Israel's national trauma from a wound in which they could not heal themselves, Jeremiah fuels them with hope. Why? Because God's involved in their circumstances. He's not banking on them. He's banking on the Lord. With faith, they will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope, the same as possible for you. If you are in a mountain of despair, if you are in a cave of darkness, there is hope. Not because of me and not because of you and not because of your circumstances, because God has things on his lips that can become new. Jonathan One of my favorite stories, I preached on it maybe a couple months ago, 1 Samuel 14. You might be saying, okay, Paul, what do you do when when you don't exactly know what the Lord wants? Right? I mean, in these cases, the Lord's speaking and the the trust factor is, I know what he wants. He's going to give me a child or he's going to heal my wounds and I need to lean into that. But so many of my circumstances, I don't have that certainty of exactly what the Lord wants to do. And I would say, Jonathan, I mean, in 1 Samuel 14, the answer to that is be more like Jonathan and less like Saul. Let's try to recall just briefly the event. Battle lines are drawn between this great valley. The Philistines, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, troops like the sand on the seashore on one side. The Israelites on the other side, 600 men, two swords. And their leader, Saul, remember where he is? Stuck in a cave of fear. 
to imagine, quote, to imagine a new gift coming from the outside violates our reason. We are not inclined to believe in genuine newness, and without the possibility of genuine newness, life becomes, listen, without the possibility of genuine newness, life becomes dissatisfied coping, grudging trust, or a managing that dares never ask too much. The Christian who doesn't believe that a genuine newness cannot come into their lives, they live their whole life in a dissatisfied coping. I mean, I come to church and I give a little bit, and, but I mean, I'm just dissatisfied. I'm just kind of coping. I live in a grudging trust. I don't really think it's true, but I mean, you're supposed to believe it because it says it. Or I just manage, but I, I don't ask too much. Doesn't this perfectly match your life sometimes? You're beaten down. And though you're a Christian, you fall into this emotional ditch on your journey. The very first thing Jonathan, Saul's son, had to do was crawl out of the dark cave of his father's fear. If your stepfather wears an apocalypse countdown watch, if your mother is anchored in fear, Bless them, but you must step out of that cave and you've got to replace their narratives that have shaped your view of your future with a biblical narrative of hope. This was exactly what Martin Luther King was doing on August 1963. He was replacing the narrative of oppression and fueling a people with hope because he believed that God was still at work. Do you believe God is still at work? The key verse in 1 Samuel 14 is verse 6. Jonathan, remember, he looks at his armor bearer. Come, let us go over to the Philistines. See, I'm stepping in. Even though it just looks overwhelming, I'm, I'm willing to step in. Why? Because God is involved here. And remember what he says? Perhaps, such a key word, perhaps the Lord will work with us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or, or few. See, I love the courage and curiosity of Jonathan. So be more like Jonathan, less like Saul. Get out of the cave of fear or darkness and say, I know that God, God is at work. I don't know how he might work in the situation. I don't have a sure word for the Lord, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in. I'm going to embrace. I'm not going to retreat or fall back. I'm not going to say, oh gosh, it's all coming down. No, I'm going to step in and say, I have courage. I have curiosity because the Lord could work. And I'm trusting in the God of creator. I'm trusting in the God who brings something out of nothing. I'm trusting in the person who brought a barren woman, a child. I'm trusting in Jesus. So be more like Jonathan and less like Saul. Hope is reasonable because God is still inclined to compassion. He's free to act. He's free to make something new. And as you step into 2023, into situations where you're not sure, step in with courage. Step in with curiosity. Say, perhaps God might open a door here. Don't get stuck in a cave of fear. Let me conclude here. Quote, Ultimately, hope is reasonable because of the resurrection. The resurrection is not the rearranging of the existing pieces of Jesus' life. 
The resurrection is a genuinely new act of creation performed by God who is always free to make something new in the midst of darkness and despair. The resurrection is not a rearranging of existing pieces of Jesus' life. The resurrection is a genuinely new act of creation. It's performed by God because he's free to make something new in the midst of darkness. So, let us not wallow in the valley of despair, I say to you, my friends. Let us have hope. Let's pray. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he has given birth into a living hope. So Lord, I I just pray for a divine moment here, much like we sing a, a thrill of hope O night divine, because the birth of Christ, would you be born again in our minds, in our souls, in our hearts, in our actions? Lord, would you help everyone here identify the lens by which they view the world? Fear or failure or trauma, whatever it may be. And would you replace it with your lens of hope? As, as they leave here and they identify that place, that relationship, that situation, that circumstance in their life, that they need some newness, Lord, I'm just pleading with you. I, I know it's a perhaps, but would you come down and would you do something that's outside of the current circumstances, outside of these people's current ability, and just uh, remind us, of your power as you did with Jonathan, as you did with Abraham and Sarah, as you did with Jeremiah, as you did with the people of Israel, as you did with all the apostles. Would you continue to do that in our hearts and souls and mind? Would you give your people, I pray, hope? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.